right, good morning, good to see you. Good to have Colby back, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's the answer to the question. And uh, so good to have him and make sure you tell him we're good to have him after uh, they be on vacation last week. And we're always thankful for our entire worship band. Let's give a, a round of applause for our worship band. Well, a daily battle that we have uh, with our two-year-old is that every morning uh, he asks for a popsicle. Every morning, popsicle. He says, wakes up and he says, Dada, can I have, can I have a popsicle? And, uh, you know, we try to explain to him that too much sugar first thing in the morning uh, is not good. He needs to eat his breakfast first. And so we, we try to make him eat his breakfast. And then he, we try to limit him to about seven or eight popsicles a day. I'm joking. We don't give him that many. Uh, but, but, you know, we give him one, maybe two a day. Then he wants me to have one as well. So he'll say, Daddy, you get a popsicle? And I'll say, I mean, if you twist my arm, I guess I'll get one. And so we eat them together, so he likes to do that. But, you know, every now and then he can't have one. It's not a good time to, to give him one. And I'll tell him, no, you can't have one. And he gets upset. And he says, I want one. And I says, no. And he starts crying and everything. And I said, if you keep, you know, crying about this, you know, you're going to have a consequence or you're going to get time out or something like that. And, and he says, and he runs away. He says, no, too scary. And he runs away. And uh, I said, well, you know, it wouldn't be scary if you do what I say. Uh, and so it's just kind of a daily battle we know that we have with them. And since we've already pretty much raised three children and he's our fourth, uh, we know that it's a phase. We know that he'll move on, that it's just kind of where he's at right now. But this is our current situation. This is our current circumstance. And that's the thing about circumstances is that they are all temporary. You, know, you can have a great situation in life, a great positive one, but in the back of your mind, you, you're, you're knowing, you know, this is, this is temporary. This was the case when uh, the Gamecocks beat Clemson five years in a row. I said, told myself, I said, just enjoy it because it might not ever happen again. When the baseball team was winning a World Series, and I just was like, just enjoy it. This is a temporary time, and it will not always be this way. And so the, the bad thing about good circumstances is they're temporary. But on the flip side, if you have a bad circumstance... Amen. It's also temporary. Amen. It's also temporary. So today as we move into chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see uh, how we can have hope because of Jesus no matter our circumstances. The Thessalonians lived in an uncertain time, and even in their uncertainty, they had hope in Jesus. So we're in chapter 2. Just going to read the first eight verses this morning. Verse 1 says... For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Verse 7. But... We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear 
to us. Heavenly Father, as we look in your word today, as we continue worshiping this morning, we do thank you that we're able to, to gather safely uh, and worship in this kind of uncertain time that we've been living in the last couple of years. So we're thankful for that, Father. We're thankful that we can be here and worship you. And Lord, all of us are in our own circumstance. We're all in our own temporary situations. Some of them good, some of them in between, some of them not so good. Let us draw strength, let us draw encouragement as we look at your word today, as we look at your Bible, to, to show us how we can have hope in Jesus Christ no matter what we are going through. Lord, I pray that my words are yours today, that you fill me with your spirit, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to give you uh, four op opportunities we're going to see, four opportunities by which our circumstances can increase our hope in Jesus. Four opportunities by which our circumstances, our situations, can increase our hope in Jesus. Number one, our circumstances often present opportunities for mission. Our circumstances often present opportunities for mission. Verse 1 says that they came to them, that their visit to share the gospel, to start the church in Thessalonica, it was not in vain. It, it did not have, uh, it had a purpose. There was no, it wasn't for no purpose that they did this. And it explains to the Thessalonians that, that they're planning the church had a purpose. They were not started for no reason. And, and you kind of get the context in verse 2. He says this, we had suffered greatly in Philippi. We had shamefully treated, but we understood that by doing this, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. Their previous conflict had prepared them to go boldly into Thessalonica and preach the gospel. It came to them after Paul and his associates had been persecuted in Philippi. They were jailed. They were beaten. And additionally, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so their treatment was shameful. And it, was even, it even robbed them of the dignity that they enjoyed as citizens of Rome. And we know if we look at that, the, the passage in Acts that God miraculously rescued them from prison and the man guarding Paul's cell, it would have been, it would, he would have been blamed for it. He was saved. He became a believer. It was a miracle. And so that situation gave them the courage. It gave them the confidence to continue on with their work. And it gave them the confidence not in themselves but in God because they saw how God opened these doors, how God rescued them from prison. And they saw with their own eyes people being saved and miracles happened. So when they moved further into Europe into an unknown land to plant this church in Thessalonica, they were filled with even more confidence because of what they knew God could do. Even in persecution, things were happening. Have you ever thought that your bad circumstance could be a great opportunity for you to be on mission, can be a great opportunity for you to have a gospel conversation? And there are stories all the time. I even heard one last service of someone, when they were in a hospital one time with a situation, and it opened up their chance to, to share and witness to another family that was there in the hospital. When you, you, know, when you, when you become a Christian, you're, you're living on mission whether you realize it or not. 
God has chosen to reach people with the gospel through his church. And if you're a Christian, you are a part of the church. So the next time you find yourself in a bad circumstance, ask yourself, is this an opportunity for me? Is this an opportunity to to have a gospel conversation, to, to have a mission opportunity? Our circumstances often give us and present us opportunities to be on mission for Jesus. Secondly, our circumstances also... They present opportunities for truth. They present opportunities for us to be able to distinguish between what is truth, what is true, and what is false. Verse 3 says this. Paul says, our appeal, this is the idea of them preaching the gospel. It's not coming from error. It's not coming from a motivation of impurity or a motivation in an attempt to deceive. He, apparently, after Paul and his associates left Thessalonica, Uh, There was negative talk around them, uh, about them, and what their proper motivations were. Paul ran into this a lot. Uh, People would would say, well, Paul's motivation wasn't true or wasn't right, and and some of the false teachers would say this about him. And so he says that his appeal, his reason for giving the gospel to them and starting the church does, does not come from what he gives three potential false motivations. This is what he says. The first one says it doesn't come from error. It doesn't come from error. Now, the Greek word here, it's where we get our word for planet. Planet. Then you think to yourself, what does a planet got to do with an error unless God has you on the wrong planet or something like that, right? Where, where does this come from? Well, the Greeks thought that planets were wandering bodies throughout the universe. They didn't realize, of course, then that planets revolved around the sun. And so they just knew that planets appeared in different places in the sky at random different times. That's why they would try to chart it and things like that. So planets were erratic, right? So that's where we get our word for error. False teaching, bad teaching is erratic. It might say one thing, it might say another, it's not consistent. And so false teaching is erratic. And bad teaching is erratic. And when there seems like there's no rhyme, there's no reason to it. So Paul mentions that his gospel appeal is not filled with erratic behavior, it's not filled with error. It is filled with the, the pure truth of who God is. Secondly, uh, he says we didn't do it from a place of impurity, this idea of uh, being uh, walking in sin, being unclean. Some teaching comes with immoral living. The message does not match up with the messenger. Paul and his cohorts did all they could to, to live a holy Christ honoring life because a pastor's character, a, le- a teacher's character, a leader's character is part of their message. So Paul claims that his gospel being preached was above reproach. It did not come from a place of impurity. And most importantly, number three, it didn't come from an attempt uh, to deceive. I'm sorry, I'm I'm still on point one. This is my other notes here. But it didn't come from an attempt to deceive. Now, this, this phrase is, is often rendered as this word guile. It has an idea of using bait uh, to catch a fish. You know, some, some ministry attempts will do that. Now, they try to reach people with some type of deceptive bait. And that's what bait is, right? If a fish knew that a hook was on the end of that bait, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't snatch it. And some fish do know, right? They do know, it seems like, from time to time. False teaching has a hook. That, that hook is death. And many times it's in the crucible of conflict where, where truth is refined. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 here, he says, 
but, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. See, God had called Paul and his team. God had called Paul. He had called Silas. He had called Timothy. He approved of them. Therefore, their speech and their preaching and their teaching is to please God. It's not to please people. If people had hired Paul or, or called Paul and Timothy and Silas to preach, then they would owe them something. They would preach for them. They would, they would teach for them. This is why our, many times I believe our politicians get in such trouble. They're voted by their constituents to say certain things and do certain things, so they go and do those certain things. But a preacher is not that way. A leader in, in the church is not that way. They're called by God. And so he says that we're called to to uh, speak for God. God called Paul to preach, so he will preach for God because people don't accurately test hearts, but God accurately tests the heart. Many times we may often be tempted to please people as we attempt to live the Christian life and be on mission. And so I'm going to give you uh, some subpoints here. So there are multiple ways I see us seeking to please men, people, mankind, in our witness. Number one, we often lower God's moral standards. That's what we'll do. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted by our culture, our community. So we will lower God's moral standards. We'll say, well, you know, the Bible said that, but that's kind of old thing. That doesn't really matter. We've kind of progressed through that. Or that didn't really have any bearing on my life. Or that's kind of an old way of thinking. But I know the Bible says it, but we just don't really look at that anymore. We've kind of evolved or progressed. And, and so we're tempted to lower God's moral standards. But we can't lower God's moral standards because God's moral standards are a reflection of his character. And God's character is unchanging because God is unchanging. You would not want to worship a God that changed. Can you imagine a changing God? I, you ever had a, a boss that was unpredictable? <laughs> Come in one day, he was happy. Came in the next day, he was sad. Came in the next day, he was angry. You never know what to predict, right? You never know where kind of day this person was going to have, and so it kind of made everybody nervous. Imagine a God who changed. They have no consistency. They have no idea what he's, God doesn't change. He's unchangeable. So we can't lower God's moral standards because God doesn't change. But we're tempted as our culture changes, as things become in vogue and they come out of favor and in favor and they, and they change and all this. We're going to be tempted to, to swerve from lowering God's moral standards, but we can't because God gave them. Secondly, we're tempted to please men in our witness by number two, preaching contrary to what God has said. And it's one thing to lower his standards. It's another thing to actually go against what God has said. And so sometimes we say things that he doesn't say. Three, we often avoid controversial issues of the day. Something comes up that might be controversial, and the Scripture totally deals with it, and we seek to avoid it. That's one reason I like going through Scripture, because if I go through Scripture, I can't avoid certain things. I have to go and I have to deal with what God's word has said because you need it and I need it. So we avoid many times controversial issues. Now, you may not be a preacher or a teacher, but if you're a Christian, you're going to find yourself opportunities to present truth wherever you go, in your job, in your, in your wherever you're, you, you, you live, in these kind of places. And so you're going to have 
opportunities to present truth, to discern truth from error. And people might ask you questions from time to time. And you have a, a, if you're a Christian, you have a Christian worldview where you can then answer these questions in the light of truth. Paul gives us two more ways we try to do this with our witness. He gives us, uh, well, actually gives us three more ways to try to do this. Verse 5 says this. We never came with words of flattery, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Four, sometimes we tell people uh, what they want to hear. He called this flattery. I tell them what they want to hear. You know, gospel truth isn't always what you want to hear. But gospel truth is what you need to hear. Right? Sometimes we tell people what they want to hear. Number five, sometimes we tell people what will make us wealthy. What will make us wealthy and uh that's number five and i have wealthy in in quotes here because for preachers it can be they can preach what will make them financially wealthy and some certainly do that there's a formula for it it'll work but for the everyday witness it can be what makes them maybe socially wealthy and maybe financially wealthy maybe certain business deals or certain things like this will will bring you wealth but sometimes at the expense of the truth of God or the truth of the gospel. Whatever it is that might improve our life, we will tell people what will make us wealthy. So we have to watch out for falling into error as we have this temptation to please others. And then number six, we often seek our own glory. We will seek our our own glory. Look at verse six. It says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. They didn't come and preach or come and plant the church of Thessalonica because they wanted some glory for themselves. They planted the church because they wanted to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was their motivation. So our circumstances often present us opportunities to separate truth from falsehood in just our everyday witness. Number three. Our circumstances sometimes will present opportunities for encouragement. For encouragement. He says in verse 7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Just as a, a mother who's nursing is gentle with a newborn. That's how Paul and his group were at the beginning of this church plant. You know, new Christians are very much... Uh, babes in Christ. Uh, you have to feed them God's word. You have to tell them what God's word says. Uh, just like babies, you have to change their diapers. I don't know how that relates to spiritually speaking, but you have to, you have to make changes. Uh, you have to listen to them cry sometimes, right? Cry for no reason. And, and so they did the, the hard part of child raising the Thessalonians. They didn't even take advantage of them because you can take advantage uh, in that situation. Verse 8 says this, that they were desirous of them, and so we were ready to share with you not only the, the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So we can be an encouragement to others when we share ourselves with them. Did you know that? When we share the gospel, we are sharing our lives. There's things that can happen to you that you can help others. Just the other day, um, about a week ago, one of uh, Emily's longtime friends she had her first baby, and uh, I mean, Emily's had four. You know, they're the same age, but this is her first. 
And so she had all these questions after she gave birth. She had a really tough labor, a tough delivery, and she had all these worries. And so she was kind of texting Emily. And she hadn't, Emily hadn't, really hadn't heard from her in a while, but she was asking her all these questions. How in the world did you have four of these? You know, it was hard having one. And, and Emily was trying to make her feel better. She's like, listen, you had a real hard labor and delivery. Some are just really bad like that. And the baby was big, and you don't feel bad. or don't feel like you can't do it or anything like that. She was just trying to encourage them because she says, you know, all labors, all deliveries are different. And so many times you're going to have a circumstance that you've gone through, and you can help someone else, and you can encourage them in their time of need because you've been through it. We can be an encouragement to others when we share ourselves with them. See, when we share the gospel, we're sharing our lives. We can't separate those two things. When we speak about what Jesus has done for us, it, it, our lives should seem like there's a difference in it. He says in verse 9, You remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, and we worked night and day, and we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. This is how he encouraged the Thessalonians. Now, some places Paul would take payment, and, and they would give him. And he even says, you know, uh, God's messenger is worth what he does, and, and, and you should pay him. But in some places he didn't because it would have been a burden for him. And he says here that, 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 he, that, that he worked. He says, I earned money at night, during the day or during the night. And he says, I didn't want to be a burden to you new believers. Now, Thessalonica was a wealthy city, but it's possible the new believers were not. And so his detractors claimed that he was taking advantage of them. And he said, listen, I didn't even take a dime from them. How can I take advantage of them? He was trying to encourage them in a specific way, and this was a way that he did that. He says in verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct to toward you believers. Now this is an important uh, verse here because we are witnesses. And people are watching how we're living. People are watching how we're treating one another, how we're, how we're, how we're living our life. Are we striving to be holy and righteous to encourage you? So our circumstances can often present opportunities to encourage those who we find we are ministering to. Finally, number four, our circumstances often present opportunities for growth. Often present opportunities for growth. And I believe this is really the, the, the big reason, one of the main reasons that the Lord has you going through difficult things from time to time. It says, verse 13, we also thank God constantly that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Paul gives three steps of this faith journey right here. He says, first, you know, you have to hear the gospel. He says, you heard from us. People will not turn to Jesus if they don't hear the gospel. There's many people who have turned to false versions of the gospel, false versions of Christianity, but it's not Jesus. It's still some type of works-based thing that they have to earn themselves. Pray enough, God will love you. Give enough, God will love you. God will save you. Do this enough, maybe you'll get into heaven. That's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel says repent and believe. Turn from Jesus. Give him your whole life. So he says you have to hear the gospel, the, the truth that God sent his son 
to, to live a life we couldn't live, to, to die our, our death on the cross, that, that through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, that whoever places their faith in the risen Christ will be saved. That is the gospel. But you have to hear it to receive it. But even some of you hear it don't receive it. And he said, but you heard it. And secondly, you accepted it. You received it. And third, not only did you hear it and receive it, but it's at work in you. Work means, this word at work means to energize. That's where we get our word for energy. They're being energized by God working through us. That's what God, the gospel does. It changes us. It, as we grow in Christ's likeness, it changes us. He says in verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. See, their growth, they enabled them to become imitators of other Christians. So their suffering results in growth. Now, Paul then follows a line of thought that, that it seems to blame the Jewish people for stirring up opposition against Christians. Look what he says, how he, how he ends this here in verse 15. He said, the Jewish people killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. And they hindered us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Now, Paul's not rejoicing in this. He's just saying that even the Jewish people who God had a covenant with them, they're still on some level through their hostility toward the gospel, they're still under God's judgment for turning against them. But even in the judgment of their sin, as we know, the Jewish people still have a way back to God through Jesus. And even in the judgment of our sin, we still have a chance to grow, that, to grow you in faith. Even if God's is a part of our own doing we can grow and that is a form of grace in itself you know since we live in a low country we love to go to the beach and every now and then our children will will go and they'll go way out there into the ocean and sometimes they'll get they'll drift off have you seen that before they'll just kind of drift off and you're there and another day Emily was like have you seen the, the girls I'm like no I don't see them and they were there, and I looked back, and they're way off down here, down the coast somewhere. So I went all the way out there. I grabbed them. I said, hey, listen, you're, you, you've let the current and the tide kind of take you out this way. You've got to walk back up against it. And we walked all the way back up. And I said, now, now turn around. You see, see that chair right behind you, those two blue chairs? That's where we're sitting. So I don't want to see you drift off over here anymore. If you do, you're going to have to sit out because we can't see you. We need to know where you're at. So every about five, ten minutes, I just want y'all as you're out there swimming, turn around and look and look for those chairs. And as long as you see those chairs straight ahead, you're lined up right where you need to be. And they started doing that. Every time I would look, I would look at them and they'd be playing in the, in the water and they'd turn around and there's a chair. They'd go back and play some more, right? And they always knew to come back and look at the chairs so the, the water and the waves wouldn't take them on down to Myrtle Beach or somewhere like that, right? They had to keep looking back to see where they needed to line up. That focal point in our lives is Jesus. Those chairs in our lives are Jesus. No matter the currents, no matter the waves, no matter the tides, Jesus never moves. Sometimes we get taken out. We need to keep looking back. Where is Christ in our lives? Where are those beach chairs that I need to look at? Jesus never moves. Heavenly Fathers, we close our time together today. We thank you. 
which you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you don't move. We thank you that you're always there on the shore. No matter what we're coming through, no matter what we're going through in our circumstances, no matter what we allow ourselves to get drifted out towards or get caught up in, if we turn around and look to you, we can find our way back. You're always there. You never move. So, Father, if there's someone in here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today, today, Father, that they would turn to you. Lord, that they would give you their life today. You'd save them. Maybe there's one in here today, Lord, that, uh, that just needs encouragement. They just, they've drifted, and maybe they don't even realize they drifted. Just like my daughters didn't realize they had drifted off in the ocean, that maybe they just realized today that they have, that they would turn to you, Father, and you would bring them back to you. Lord, we love you. We bring these things to you today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band plays today, you stand today, and you make your commitments today.